shotglassdigital.com. Geek Out Loud is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash geekout. Over 150,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player of your choice. Audibletrial.com slash geekout. Help us out, guys. Come on. Come on, help us out. On this episode of Geek Out Loud, Han Solo, Darth Vader, Spider-Man, all in the news, as well as dinosaurs versus sharks, it's Dinoshark Week here on Geek Out Loud. This is the Geek Out Loud Podcast. Welcome to Geek Out Loud, your safe place to geek out on the internet. We're not full of all the negativity and the hate of everything else that's out there these days, and we don't hide behind anonymous usernames and Twitter handles to spout venom and hatred. If I don't like something, my name's Steve Glosson, and you can find me where I live. There's no problem there. Um, no, we, we just have a good time. That's what it's all about, guys, having fun. This stuff, all the stuff that we love is supposed to bring us happiness and joy so we have a good time with it, and that's what Geek Out Loud is all about, having a good time with the stuff we love. So, as we move... <laughs> I'm being called out on in the chat, says Steve0125. Listen, Scott, on Twitter, I'm at Steve Glosson. On uh, in the uh, in the in the user in the uh, trader app thing, Tops Trader app, which if you are chasing those vintage cards, please help me out if you've got duplicates of uh, more the, the more recent ones. Uh, at Steve G one twenty five on the Tops Trader app, those are the ones I'm chasing. I have forgone every single other insert for those vintage cards, guys, and uh, Tops is killing me. Tops is killing me. But anyhow, um, where was I before I was so rudely, rudely derailed by the chat? Uh, Geek Out Loud, that's the podcast you're listening to. Steve Clawson, that's my name. And uh, we're here, man. And I want to say thanks to everyone who is using the Amazon links that you can find at geekoutonline.com and geekoutpodcast.com. Actually, right now it's best if you go to geekoutpodcast.com. Uh, I got to update the links on uh, geekoutonline.com, but if you'll use the link at geekoutpodcast.com, it'll take you to Amazon, doing all kinds of shopping there, and we get a taste of it with no extra charge or hidden fees to you. It helps out the shows in a big, bad way. We pay for all of our hosting and stuff 
with your Amazon support, and we greatly appreciate that. And a huge <clears throat> thank you so much to everyone who supports us directly through Patreon.com at Patreon.com slash GeekOutloud. Our featured supporter on this episode is Jason Hackett. Jason, or maybe it's Hackett. Maybe he's <laughs> maybe he's French-Canadian. Jason possesses the Jedi-like ability with blades. Or, I'm sorry, not the Jedi-like ability. <clears throat> Jason possesses a Jedi-like ability with blades of all types. He's never trained to receive this ability. It was given to him when he was cut with a radioactive samurai sword. That's Jason Hackett, or Hackett, our featured supporter through patreon.com slash geekoutloud on this episode. And I've got a few like individual shout-outs slash thank yous that I want to sling out there into the ether. Number one, I want to make sure that I have thanked uh, again and again Jim Dossie and his boys, Kevin, Caleb, and David. Cool guys uh, who I got to hang out with on my way home from uh, Disney Star Wars weekends a few weeks back. It's been it's been crazy hectic, and I don't know what I've said on what podcast, but I want to make sure that uh, Jim knows I appreciate his hospitality. Met them at a Cracker Barrel. That's always a fun time. Uh, and uh, we had some Cracker Barrel together. I talked to the boys, Kevin, Caleb, and David. Uh, three of the coolest kids you'll ever meet in your life. So thumbs up to them. Big thumbs up to those guys and a big thumbs up to Jim for their hospitality. I really appreciated it. They handed me, they gave me a uh, an exclusive uh, Disney Star Wars Weekends poster that was, I think, like a, a pass holders exclusive of some such. I'm not sure, but all I know is, is they had it, and I did not, and they gave me one, and I really appreciated that. It's got Yoda on it. It's a great shot of Yoda, and um, really appreciate that, guys, and appreciate just hanging out with you and having a good time getting to meet you guys down in Florida. So uh, that's Jim and his three sons. My three sons. Oh, my three sons. Kevin, Caleb, and David. Then our good friend, Coach Jamie Heal. Uh, Heal. See how I went all uh, I went all Southern there? Uh, <clears throat> from up in uh, North Kakalaki. Uh, I, I received in the mail from him. He was at a yard sale the other day, and apparently found at a decent price the old star wars vinyl and uh the soundtrack on vinyl and uh decided he'd pick that up for me and send it to me and um man it came in the mail yesterday i've never had the star wars soundtrack on vinyl any of the any of the stuff on vinyl and i have been toying with the idea over the past year of starting up maybe a little vinyl collection just for the fun of it um i'm not going to get too deep into it because i'm not enough of an audiophile to like listen to the clarity of this music you know i can tell when something's really lost clarity but i have a hard time scoping out the difference between something that's been digitally mastered versus uh what's what's playing on on the vinyl and i've had this issue since back in the late 90s when i first was told that records are better than cds and i'm like what are you talking about man and uh man man what are you talking about man pa that man pa that man his money and um and dude took me to like a music store. They had this huge, great setup, and they played Beatles, a Beatles album on vinyl with a great set. And I was just like, okay, that sounds cool. I don't, I mean, okay, great. Thanks for this. And I never got it. So I'm not saying it's not true, guys. I'm saying I don't have the ability to distinguish. My ear palette is not good enough. But it's cool to have the vinyl, the liner notes and everything are in there. And it's just really a cool thing. And so Thank you, Coach Hill, for that. And then, uh, listener of the show, Wade. And Wade, I looked and looked and looked for your last name. I guess I could have looked. 
you know what i i guess i could have just looked um on the uh the package itself but i'm an idiot um but wade uh actually found some old uh toys of his um and he uh he sent them to me uh, a lot of uh, micro machines, action fleet type stuff, a playset or two, and uh, they're going to find a a spot of display in the Star Wars room or the Star Wars room annex, which is the shelf right outside the door, um, which will probably be joined by another shelf in the future. So, just want to give a big shout out to Wade, and uh, as always, if you want to send your Star Wars collectibles to me, I'll take it. I'll take them. I don't. <laughs> That's, I'm a, I will, I will take your Star Wars collectibles gladly, you know, your toys, old toys, doesn't matter what shape they're in, you know, just send them my way. If you don't want them anymore, um, I'll figure out something to do with them. I always do. I, I, I it's a, it's a sickness guys. And you would be, um, you would be playing into my sickness. So there you go. Uh, but no, just want to give a thanks to all those guys, uh, super great friends of the show and, 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 uh, really appreciate the kindness from, from each and every one of you that was all kindness is given shown directly to me and, and, uh, and, and I'm humbled and always appreciative of those things. And so I appreciate you guys, uh, for, for those things. Now, with that being said, let's jump into some emails. It's been so long since we've done a proper geek out loud that I forgot that this uh, particular that that particular segue music doesn't have an ending uh, that I have to fade it out. <laughs> I'm just sitting here waiting on it in. I'm like, well, we'll get into the emails here as soon as this thing's over. And I'm like, no, Steve, you have to pull down the slider for that one. That one's got to end when you say it ends. It will continue until you say it does, or it'll just stop abruptly, which will be awkward, and no one will listen to your show. Matt Williamson chimes in. He says, hey, Steve, I emailed you before. Just want to say again, I love the show and enjoy my fandoms even more because of Geek Out Loud. Uh, well, thank you, Matt. Good to hear from you. He said, I want to get your thoughts. This is an interesting question. And we're going to geek out a little bit about some DC stuff for all you guys that love the DC. I want to get your thoughts on the possibility of DC ever moving past the first wave of heroes, Bruce Wayne, Clark Kent, Diana Prince, and finally letting their protégés that they have spent decades training, Nightwing, Superboy, Wonder Girl, just take their mantles and start telling stories with new characters rather than the same old thing. I'm an amateur-level geek at best, but I'm turned off to the soap opera storytelling tropes in these comics these days where characters die and then are brought back to life six months later. I would rather see the universes move forward with new characters and lasting changes. Maybe this is just me, but I'm tired of seeing Bruce Wayne as Batman fighting the Joker. I want to see new characters come through and take center stage, followed by even more new characters, i.e. Dick becoming Batman, followed by Tim or Damien, rather than just reverting back to Bruce Wayne again. Am I being completely irreverent, or is there merit to this line of thinking? I think there's some merit to what you're saying, Matt, in the in the course of the DC Universe especially. DC's been very good about many of its heroes uh, passing the mantle on, or the mantle being passed to other keepers of those identities. 
For example, uh, Barry Allen, or I'm sorry, I mean, you got to start with uh, with uh, Jay Garrick as the Flash and Barry Allen to Wally West uh, to Bart Allen back to Barry Allen. You, we've seen these mantles uh, jump around. There have been multiple Green Lanterns of Earth, uh, not just Hal Jordan, of course, the first being Alan Scott, but that was a completely different style of lantern. Um, he wasn't like a guardian protector of the Green, you know, part of the Green Lantern Corps or whatever. But you had uh, Hal Jordan, Kyle Rayner, John Stewart, Guy Gardner, all these different people that uh, carried the ring and carried the name. Some worked better than others. Some showed up in other mediums than others. You know, that sort of thing. When it comes to those big three, though, when it comes to Batman, Superman, and Wonder Woman, I want to, first of all, Superboy and the Superman mythos, I don't know how they're handling him right now. In, in the comic books, I don't know if he's even around right now in the old New 52, but, uh, but, the, old, but the whole thing with Connor Kent is he couldn't grow, he couldn't age past a certain point. That's how it all started out back in the reign of the Superman. Um, you know, this 15, 16-year-old kid showed up, and he was actually kind of, he was drawn to look a little scrawnier than normally. You know, he wasn't like, he was more wiry. Later on, Connor would uh, take on a buff appearance, you know, and come to find out he's got... DNA of Lex and DNA of Superman. And I don't know if they abandoned the he doesn't age thing or not. Uh, but, you know, I, and I don't know if he's in the new continuity as far as the new 52 goes. When it comes to, like, uh, Nightwing or Tim Drake or or any of those guys taking over the Bruce Wayne mantle, again, I need to go back to my original point. A lot of times with those big three, Superman, Wonder Woman, and Batman, the... The powers that be are very loath to transfer those mantles over to anyone else. Superman, I think, should always be Clark Kent. Regardless of, of whether or not Lois reveals his identity to the world, as has happened in, in recent issues, or whatever the case may be, I really think Superman should always be Clark Kent because Superman is not Superman simply because he chose to take on this identity. It's part of who he is. He was born that way. No one's going to take up the mantle of Superman effectively. You know, you'll have John Henry Irons put on his Iron Man ripoff costume and be steel. You'll have, uh, that's snark. I'm sorry. I like John Henry Irons and I like steel. Um, you'll have, you know, you can have the cyborg Superman or even the Eradicator, whoever else, you know, step up the way they did. But Superman is always going to be Superman. And, and he's Superman because of his Kryptonian heritage. As it pertains to Bruce Wayne, I think that the the thought process is this is the man. This is he is Bruce Wayne. He's the man, and and you've got to have these elder statesman type characters in place for these younger characters to aspire to, and for all the other characters to aspire to. I don't know that that's stuck in the New Fifty Two. I really don't. I haven't read DC Comics in well over a year, not because I'm anti DC Comics, but because uh, they don't have an app like Marvel has an app. If they have a, if they did a DC Unlimited app the way that Marvel has done, you better believe I'd be on that thing, and I would be up to speed, you know, I would uh, as up to date as they would let me be, that sort of thing. But unfortunately, um, they don't have that. So I'm, so I'm a little behind, a little in the fog as far as the characterizations and everything of of their characters these days. I, I don't. I don't think you're being irreverent. I, I do think that when you talk about being turned off to the soap opera storytelling tropes, that's comic books. And if you want a, a, a continuity in your comic books, 
then you're going to have soap opera storytelling tropes. There's no, I don't know that there's any getting around it. I'm not creative enough to get around that because you're talking about characters in this instant that have been around for 75 plus years in the person of Batman and Superman in, the, in those two characters. And so if you're going to keep those characters around, there's got to be some of those soap opera storytelling tropes, especially in the past, what, 30 years, guys, when continuity has become like this big, super big deal to everybody that, well, this happened over here. So this is, you know, you can't ignore that this took place in issue number whatever or Justice League issue number whatever this took place. And, and, and continuity has been the bane and the joy of comic book reading now for a little while. Uh, it, it's a two-edged sword because on one hand, I love the continuity of what goes on. On the other hand, I wish we could just wipe out Civil War in the Marvel, you know, in the Marvel Comics universe altogether and be like, well, that was a fun story to tell while it lasted. Um, same thing with what they've been doing leading up to, and, and now we're in the middle of the Secret War storyline over in Marvel. Uh, what they were doing leading up to that, I, I've made very clear that I didn't like what happened to our characters as they were facing the end of the world. Did not like it one bit. There were other worlds that were destroyed where you kind of get a peek into those worlds from from different universes, from that multiverse in Marvel, where those characters handled it the way I would have liked to seen these characters that I grew up with handle it, and our characters did not do that. And it's unfortunate because you want you want heroes that you can you know that you can cheer for, that you can root for. Um, but I will say this characters dying and being brought back to life six months later. I agree with you. Um, there are, this is something that is, again, I want to say it's all, it's been in the past 20 years, you know, S Superman didn't start that trend. Jean Grey kind of started it, you know, with the Phoenix being dead and being brought back to life. They did it with Dr. Doom in Marvel comics. Um, and they explained it away pretty well how they how they handled that situation with him when he died in the pages of the Fantastic Four, but was later brought back. Um, but it really just became this thing of well, if so and so dies, we'll sell books, we'll sell books. You know, for the longest time, you know, Gwen Stacy was dead, she stayed dead. Uncle Ben is dead, he stayed dead. Um, Captain Marvel, the original Cree Captain Marvel. Uh, from Marvel Comics is dead, and he has stayed dead. There've been hints at bringing him back here and there, but he, he, you know, it always turned out to be a scroll, or or it wouldn't happen, it wouldn't come to fruition, or whatever, because the legend around him has grown so much. Um, I don't know if Wolverine is going to stay dead in the comics. I, I don't know. I obviously, I doubt. Of course, I doubt he will. I remember when they killed Betty Banner in the pages of the Incredible Hulk. Peter David did. She died. Mister Coach Klein and. And with the promise that we're not bringing her back. She's not coming back. But she did. And so, <laughs> and so it's just, I agree with that. I think that you've got to, I, I think that death has become too common a thing in these books. And, and sometimes comics will actually end up making fun of it. I've read a few comics where they make, where they poke fun at themselves with that. Like, you know, well, he'll be back. You know, death isn't the end. And, the problem is, is death is the end. And, and I think that we need to, you know, that storytellers and comics need to get back to that, that, that death to sell books doesn't need to be a storytelling trope that they go to too much. Um, there are times where it has really worked. Uh, the death and return of Superman. It, I, I, it's a great story. It is an incredible story arc. 
And I don't just say that as a fan of Superman. I say that as a fan of comic book storytelling. It is a great story arc. The Bruce Wayne stuff, the the Batman R.I.P., I don't know. It, it kind of got confusing and over my head with all the different references and everything that was going on and the stuff that Grant Morrison was doing. It's not to take anything away from Grant Morrison's storytelling ability, but I, I it was a little too over my head. I'm not a smart enough reader for that. Uh, I don't know if they've ever killed Wonder Woman. I, I don't know, but... I don't know with those, you know, these are characters, again, that in the case of Batman and Superman have been around for more than 75 years, and it's going to be hard to, you know, to, to replace them and put someone else, because it, the minute Bruce Wayne is replaced, even with a Dick Grayson, um, Batman suddenly doesn't become the leader that he was. They, they don't just step into the roles and be those characters, you know. The minute Superman is replaced by someone else, he's no longer Superman that everyone looks to. And so who fills that void? Who fills that gap? Uh, does Hal Jordan do that? I don't think so. Can Can Barry Allen do that? I don't I don't think so. I, Oliver can't do that. You know, and so you end up with maybe some interesting stories out of that. I don't know. But I don't think that's the answer to good storytelling in comics. I don't, I don't think that's the key, getting rid of those characters and, and moving on to new ones. I don't think that's the key to good storytelling in comics. I think that... Um, that that would be just as much of a stunt move as the other storytelling tropes. That's my that's my own personal opinion. So, um, Adrian chimes in with a uh, with a with a quick word. The Star Wars parody, uh, the the New Wars parody of Nickelback's rock, uh, song "Rockstar." Uh, he says it's easily up there with Weird Weird Al's uh, "The Saga Begins." I mm, sorry, Adrian, I disagree with that. Uh, really, they should showcase it at the next Star Wars weekend or something. Well, hey, thank you, Adrian. I, I appreciate that. Um, that's great. Uh, not since Cats in the Cradle has a song made me get misty like that. Sure. And as a bonus, it made me smile and laugh out loud. Thanks, man. And thank you, Adrian. I really appreciate it. And thanks to your production team if you had any help. Sure, I should give them a shout-out. Uh, on the... Uh, on the uh, on the music side of things, we want to thank uh, karaoke tracks from YouTube, and on the mixing side of things, we want to thank um, Steve Glosson and the vocals, of course, Steve Glosson. The words, uh, the the words and, and lyrics, uh, thanks to Steve Glosson, and um, yeah, produced by Steve Glosson. So thank you, Steve. Uh, we appreciate all that. So, no, that's from Adrian. So, Adrian, thank you. And if you haven't heard uh, the new war, uh, the the yeah, new wars yet, it's a parody of Nickelback's Rock Star. Uh, get in touch, uh, or, or get in touch. Get uh, check out older episodes. Check out Rebel Force Radio. It's it's all over different places. Those of you who are Patreon supporters, it was released to everyone at every level uh, to have as a download for an MP3. So, um, have it, enjoy it. I hope you like it. Dominique Garant chimes in, our international man of mystery, with the subject line, let's talk comic books. Number one, he says here, a few thoughts, comic books. Have you read Astro City from Kurt Busiek? If not, I suggest you give it a try. Maybe check your local library for the first trade paperback. It's in its own universe and very well done. I've never read Astro City. I've, uh, Of course, I'm familiar with it. Uh, I know that it was very critically acclaimed uh, back in the day when it was released and you know and everything that was going on it wasn't an i didn't think it was i didn't realize it was an ongoing i thought it was a 
a miniseries. Number two, Star Wars comics. Marvels. Marvel are complete idiots. What are they doing? You can't assume that a fan base will suddenly be interested in a bucket load of comics. I mean, one title ongoing, sure, maybe two, but now they're just throwing them out there in a hurry, and I can't really believe that there was enough thinking behind them to make them canon. If they really stand by the concept that all this is going to be official canon, I'd like them to, I don't know, be more prudent with the product. I also do not like having everything explained to me. I'd like, I'd enjoy some adventures from our loved crew, but I do not need to know exactly what happened after the medal ceremony. Please leave stuff to my imagination. Too much explaining is what the prequel is often critiqued about. Midichlorians, Boba Fett, etc. Um, I can't speak to it. I haven't read enough of the new Star Wars comics to really speak to that, Dominique. I do agree that Disney has really allowed the flooding of the market on the comic side of things. You know, you've got your main Star Wars title. You got Darth Vader, which a lot of people are digging. I've heard a lot of people digging the Darth Vader. You got your Lando Calrissian, your Princess Leia, all these different titles coming out. And yeah, it's it's definitely a money grab, you know, because not only are they selling the titles, but like a thousand variant covers on each one and that sort of thing. That's a little bit of sarcasm and exaggeration, I know, but they do have the variant covers on all these things that people are obviously going to try to get. So there, you have some collectors like I got to have one of each cover, that sort of thing. So yeah, it's definitely a, a money grab. But I'm not going to say they're complete idiots. I feel like that's a little rough. They obviously know what they're doing. Um, obviously, these stories get run through the story group. So, you know, it is what it is. And comic book storytelling is different than it used to be. And it's different than movie storytelling. And so you end up with moments that are a little stretched out. Comic book storytelling these days is so... I don't want to use the word decompress, but that's the best way to use it. It's so just laid out, and everything happens. It has to unfold over. You know, you can read a whole issue where nothing really happens, but there's been some cool dialogue, I guess. And unfortunately, that's kind of the route that comic books have gone. And I don't know if Star Wars has fallen into that yet or not. But because of that, I think maybe they feel like we can have a lot happening and nothing really going on, or we can have a lot happening and this doesn't... You know, they, maybe they hit the bullet points of the big moments that are, you know, going to be canonized. I know a lot of people are freaking out about the Han Solo's wife thing, and I haven't heard anything about it since. I don't know if that's been taken care of, that he's like, she's not my wife. She just says that, whatever the case may be. Speaking of the prequels, Dominique goes on. He says, I love Star Wars. I love the original trilogy. My favorite trilogy of all time. I love the prequel trilogy. One of my favorite trilogies of all time. I think they both stand as two great stories. I really love them. My issue is one of disconnect between the two. I enjoy all Star Wars, but I have a hard time putting the six films together as a single story. The great and wonderful world of the prequel to me is not the same as the original trilogy, with people claiming Jedi is an old religion. The characters are not the same. I don't connect the Obi-Wans, the Anakins, the Yodas, the Vaders, the 3PO's, the Chewies, and especially the R2's who just does less stuff. Sentences like, he was a great friend, or the Jedi Master who taught me just don't make sense. It's like I really enjoy and geek out watching the prequels. And then when episode four starts, I feel like, what is this? What are they talking about? Truth be told, I feel like the guy who wrote the prequel should have watched the original trilogy a bit more to make sure the puzzle pieces connect better. Well, George Lucas wrote the prequels, buddy. So there, I said it. I'm a big fan of both trilogies. But as a sixology, it just feels disconnected. Now I'm going to go ball up in the shower and cry because I said bad things about the franchise I cherish most. Um, I disagree with you to an extent. Obvious, here's the thing. 
What's happening in the prequel trilogy is you're at the tail end of this great civilization. Everything's sleek. Everything's clean. Everything's nice. It is, it is the exact opposite of the future, quote-unquote, that we were shown in that orig original trilogy when, when George Lucas said he wanted a used future. When you get to the original trilogy, it's a war-torn, oppressed society. And we're introduced to this new trilogy on Tatooine. You know, I mean, Luke was not rich. He was a moisture farmer's kid. You know, he was raised by moisture farmers. That, that's not a ludicrous business. They, you know, you, you get the idea they were just kind of barely making ends meet. But I, maybe they were doing pretty well for Tatooine. Who knows? Um, <clears throat> so as we roll then through the Clone Wars into Revenge of the Sith, into 30 years later you know or 20 years later rather to revent to a new hope yeah think about when you were a kid think about when you were eight nine years old 20 years seemed like forever ago i remember i'll put it to you this way when i was a kid in 1985 eight-year-old steve i used to see the commercials for like the time life sets of you know music from the 50s and you know all these oldies you know they called them the golden oldies kind of thing that's a 30-year difference from 1985 to 19 say 55 and i just thought man that was a bygone era that i could never relate to at all and you know and as a kid when they'd have like little parties here and there be like we're gonna do a 50s style party you know blah 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 and, and now in 2015 1985 was 30 years ago. I, I work with kids that are in their late teens, early 20s, who look at me like an idiot when I talk about how good 80s music was. And they're like, that's terrible. I, don't, I can't stand to listen to that. Or they like to listen to it the same way that people would listen to those oldies back in the 80s. You know, people like me were like, oh, that's pretty cool. That's a bygone era. Those people must all be dead. You know, and sometimes I'm surprised to find there are people still alive from that era, you know, and it's just like, it's, and so when you step into the world of Star Wars, 20 years is a long time. Two decades is a long time. So yeah, that old religion, and, and you're talking about the religion being old, not just old, not meaning it's wiped out, but old meaning it'd been around for a while and now it's, now it's extinct, you know, um, when, when, when Tarkin tells Vader, you're all that's left of their religion. He really thinks so. He thinks that by that point, they've pretty much got everybody wiped out. You know, there's no chance of an Obi-Wan Kenobi rearing his head. There's no chance of, of these Jedi from a bygone era of the Clone Wars rearing their heads. Um, and and so, so I feel like they connect okay. I feel like, especially when you see Cloud City. Cloud City's still got some of that holdover stuff from those that bygone era. It's a little more sleek. It's a little more slick until you get that carbon freezing chamber of course you know it's got a little more industrial feel to it i mean those hallways and those curves on those windows everything it's just a little bit more sleek a little bit you know nicer um naboo is is just a planet we would never been to before in the star wars universe in the original trilogy in the original trilogy you're in the middle of guerrilla warfare a lot of times and so the the rebels are are hitting and they're running they're hitting and they're running and they're running to places where they have to hide Hoth is an inhospitable planet where these guys are hiding out from the Empire in hopes that they won't think to even look there because no one would ever try to set up base on Hoth. 
uh, Tatooine is a desert planet where Obi-Wan is hiding out because no one was ever think to look for a great Jedi warrior on Tatooine. Same thing with Dagobah. Yoda's in the swamps of Dagobah. So we never get into the city aspect of what's going on. We never go to the core. We never go to Coruscant. You know, we never see these places. And just because we don't see them until that celebration scene in Jedi doesn't mean that it's not, you know, there aren't still places like that where people are living high on the hog and they're enjoying the benefits of living in the Empire. They've kissed enough butt that they're doing pretty well. Uh, and, and, you know, so but everything we see in that original trilogy is through the eyes of warfare, through this band of rebels, you know, sneaking around on these inhospitable places or a forest moon, if you will. So I don't, I don't know. I think it does connect. And I think that the Clone Wars help it connect really well. And I think Rebels has really helped be good connective tissue between those two trilogies. So chin up, Dominique. Chin up about those two great trilogies. Um, our good friend Raj from the UK in the HK chimes in. He says, hey, Steve, super quick email about one point from the Avengers movie that no one seems to be bringing up online, so I got to do it. The Avengers 2 credit scene seemed to have some people disappointed because someone is always disappointed in the online world. But no one seems to be doing the 2 plus 2 that raises the potential implications. In Thor, we see the Infinity Gauntlet in the weapons vault on Asgard. That's true. Easter egg or plot point, it's there. So if Thanos is retrieving the Infinity Gauntlet by himself, it means that Thanos himself walked right into Asgard, tore some stuff up, and does this take place after Thor 3? Does Loki or slash Odin, you know, Loki disguise those and let him in? Will we have an action set piece of Thanos storming Asgard? Did Thanos cause Ragnarok? Am I doing 2 plus 2 and getting 5? Who knows? But it's got more depth than the Thanos scene in Avengers, which seems to have everyone jumping for joy. Anyways, back to work. Oh, and watch Mad Max. It's bonkers, but also awesome bonkers. Your friend in time, Raj, from 13 hours ahead of you. Thank you, Raj, for that email. It's good. It's a good point. And it's one that I've, I've thought about, but I haven't really expounded in my thinking about it. You know, I haven't really stopped and said, hey, that thing is, and you can see it clearly in the weapons vault on Asgard. Now, here's a good question. Maybe, follow me now. We know that the Tesseract was on Earth. When we see the Infinity Gauntlet in the weapons vault in Thor, um, I'm going to pull it up uh, online. I'm going to pull up a picture really quickly so I can see and make sure uh, that I'm seeing it right and well. This image here. Um, this looks enhanced. Um, no, maybe it's not. This one's not so enhanced. You, you, it's when the, uh, it's when the, it's just before the two frost giants get taken out by the destroyer. You can see it clearly behind them. But I mean, it is, it is beyond blinking. You miss it. There appear to be gems in it. That's the thing. That's why I think it's just kind of an Easter egg that's thrown in there. Um, and, and I don't think it's meant to someone might have lightened the color up on this particular... I'm trying to find as much of an unfiltered picture as I can. I think the idea is it's just an Easter egg, and because it's so not a plot point at all, that we're just going to ignore that it was there, you know? Um, but on the other hand, 
Have they done anything else like that? I mean, if they knew, and surely by Thor, they knew where they were going to head. Not necessarily with the Infinity War, but by having the Infinity Stones. Surely by Thor, they knew that. So, maybe, maybe it is in there on purpose. And maybe Thanos very well did go into Asgard to get it. Um, it's, that's an intriguing, intriguging thought. Um, I tend to think that no, he didn't. I tend, because what he pulls out is the gauntlet without the stones, of course. We know that the Tesseract had been around well before World War II. There's a good chance, it because, and, and because of where it's hidden in an image of Idrisil, the world's tree, uh, that possibly Odin might have sent it to Earth to be hidden on Earth, that particular stone. Um, I'd, well, okay, here's, here's an example of maybe, maybe they're retconning some things, because in Avengers, Loki's spear is said to receive its power from the Tesseract, but we find out that the gem in the spear actually had the other stone in it, the, the mind stone that goes into the Avengers, into visions, into the visions for it, um, so that was a little retcon. I, I maintained for a long time that wasn't an Infinity Stone at all in there. and uh, But, you know, no, I guess it was. Or I know it was. You know, now we know for sure it was. So um, even though it was said to have received its power from the Tesseract, which is an Infinity Stone. Uh, the Aether is an Infinity Stone that was hidden, um, you know, in, in that little dimensional place. You know, down, 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 down into the Earth or into that planet. So I, it's, I'm stunning around because I'm trying to make sense of their thought process. I think they just put it in there for the heck of it, but they didn't just put, cause they displayed that thing at Comic-Con and everything. Hmm. I'm going to say, yeah, Thanos went after it. They made a mistake in putting and showing that there were gems in it though, or maybe the gems were in there just as decor knowing that the rest of them were scattered abroad. So I'm going to say, I'm going to say you're right. Possibly. Toby Grimes, long-time listener, first-time emailer, long-time first-time, Steve. It would be great if some of this made it into the show at some point. All right. But, of course, feel free to trim down what is a fairly weighty email. Well, you're in luck, Toby. I'm a fairly weighty reader. I was just listening to some of your older shows, specifically when you were discussing how movie magic is dying out, and I have to say this really brought home to me when watching Jurassic World, although I still did enjoy it. I'm not the kind to bang the drum of boo CGI, but because it's the trend, uh, but I do firmly believe that there's a balance to be struck between it and practical effects, and that's what the original Jurassic Park was, the perfect blend. Close-up of dinosaur attacking someone, practical distance shot of dinosaur in motion, CGI. The Stan Winston School has a great YouTube channel where they show the construction of the original Jurassic Park T-Rex. And I have to say that I felt more magic in that test footage of a man feeding, quote-unquote, a piece of polystyrene to the huge animatronic Rex when I did the whole of Jurassic World. The same goes for the original trilogy, Jabba and Yoda. They just have so much more heart to them than their CGI successors. And I genuinely never doubt them as real characters, whereas I do their replacements. I will agree with you on the Jabba, not so much the Yoda. I think they, they, they really found their stride with the CGI Yoda, especially by Episode 3. 
But Jabba still to this day, you know, it's like he's just a big cartoon on screen, honestly to me. Finally, on the subject of The Force Awakens, part of me wishes they had just let the original gang ride off in the sunset and never be seen again if we have to see them thrown back into conflict and potentially lose some of their number. One aspect the old EU I disliked was that it embodied the wars aspect of Star Wars in the worst way and that there was always another battle to fight. When we ended up seeing Chewie die, Luke lose his wife, and Han and Leia lose two of their three children. I can't wait for The Force Awakens, but I don't want to diminish the exuberance of Return of the Jedi's conclusion. Hope to hear some thoughts from the Bantha's mouth, as it were. Thank you for your time and effort. And that's Toby from the UK. Um, <clears throat> I will just talk, I'll touch on this Star Wars thing because we're going to talk a little bit about Star Wars later on. Surprise! Uh, <laughs> I. I think that is a huge aspect of the EU that caused me a little bit of distress is there never seemed to be downtime for our characters between story arcs. It just seemed like one thing led into another, led into another. And the fact that Han and Leia lost two of their children really always bothered me. You know, these are people, these are characters that I want to see happy. These are characters that deserve some semblance of a happy ending. And... And when you go and you lose two of your kids, one to this invading force and the other because he becomes a dark side force user and his own sister has to kill him, spoiler alert, that's not good. That's not a good day. And it's not good Star Wars. There's not a lot of hope there. So I tend to agree with you. However, um, I'm not going to judge anything about The Force Awakens except to say I'm really looking forward to it because I am looking forward to these guys being back. And I'm looking forward to what's going on. We know that... The war has kind of worn on um, with remnants of the Empire trying to hang on and trying to, you know, keep their footing in what's going on. So we'll see. Uh, I, I hope no one dies, but I'm afraid, you know, and this is all speculation on my part, I'm afraid we will. And it will be sad. Speaking of Star Wars, Phil Martin chimes in. With a story. He says, 10 years ago when my son Grant was 5 years old, he was obsessed with watching Attack of the Clones every day. One night while my wife was at choir practice, Grant and I were having a lightsaber duel through the house. Notice the wife was not there, ladies and gentlemen. At one point, after Grant resorted to force choking me in order to get a competitive edge, he stopped and asked, Why are there Skittles in lightsabers? Ladies and gentlemen, I pose this question to all of you today. To chew on, why are there Skittles and lightsabers? And now we're going to go to our next email. Will West chimes in finally. He says, hey there, Steve. It's been a long time, much too long for my taste. But I'm writing in now, so that has to count for something. Anyway, I want to let you know about a peculiar discovery I've made. You may recall or may not that about a year ago, I emailed in about the watch order of the Star Wars saga with someone who knew little to nothing about them. Furthermore, back about eight months ago, I emailed in and told you this individual was now my girlfriend. Yeah, you did. But that's not the point. The point is, Steve, I finally got her to sit down and watch The Phantom Menace for the first time. And I was blindsided by the result. Ladies and gentlemen, brace yourselves. After the movie, I asked her what she thought. Her response was one I never thought I'd hear. She said, ladies and gentlemen, here's the quote. That movie would have been miserable without... Fill in your own blank right now. Fill in your own blank of what makes The Phantom Menace not miserable. Some of you are saying, well, without John Williams' score. Some of you are saying without Qui-Gon Jinn. Some of you are saying without Darth Maul. 
Some of you are saying that film would have been miserable without um, maybe even Natalie Portman. Some of you might even think that film may have been miserable without a pod race, or that film may have been miserable without, um, uh, I, I think, I've without going to Tatooine. Some of you may say that it would have been miserable without the big war at the end, that sort of thing. But Will's girlfriend, Maggie, says that movie would have been miserable without Jar Jar. He was my favorite part. I liked it. Ladies and gentlemen, Jar Jar Binks finds love. And I couldn't be happier. At this point, you're probably wondering if I'm still trying to wrap my head around the whole situation. Uh, I'm sorry, at this point, you're probably wondering if my girlfriend is six-year-olds, but alas, she's 19, Maggie is 19, and since we watched the movie, her vocabulary has expanded to ex- to include excuse me, kawaiti, and okie day. I say okie day. I do. I use okie day in, in general conversation. I'm still trying to wrap my head around the whole situation, but I, I suppose the point of all this was to say Jar Jar doesn't just cater to the kids. I never really understood all the hate towards him, but I'm glad to see some firsthand positive adult reaction surrounding Jar Jar. I've seen positive adult reaction to Jar Jar, ladies and gentlemen. It's not just 19-year-old Maggie. Our plan is to go through the whole saga in the next couple of weeks, so I'll keep you updated on any other mind-blowing moments. Thanks for the safe place to geek out. We'll definitely keep us posted. I love that story. It makes me happy. Daniel McFadden chimes in and says, Kevin Feige said back in May there are two Infinity Gauntlets. Glad this got in on the wire. Uh, if you stuck around for the end credits of Age of Ultron, you're treated to a bit of setup for Phase 3. As usual, the stinger left is a question about the implications of the future of the MCU. Kevin Feige has offered an answer uh, to one of the questions raised. Uh, read all about the MCU. Infin- yes, that's Gauntlet's plural after the jump. So here we are in the jump. Let me find it. Um, there are two different gloves. That was not Odin's vault you saw at the end. So there you go, Raj. Kevin Feige, clearing it up for us. Did you get your Skittles lightsaber answer yet? Does anyone have an answer to why lightsabers have Skittles? Anybody? Did anybody come up with that? I'm wondering, I'm looking through the chat really quickly just to see um, if anyone has something. No. No one. Well, you have all let Phil's five-year-old son, Grant, down ten years ago. Grant asks the question, why are there Skittles and lightsabers? Phil goes on to continue his story. And now, the rest of the story. I was flustered. I stumbled over my words, and all I could finally say was lightsabers don't have Skittles in them. He argued with me about this so much to the point that he started tearing up because I didn't believe him. Finally, I asked, why do you think there's Skittles in lightsabers? Where are you getting that from? And he said, because that's what Count Dooku says when he's about to fight Yoda. He says that this contest can only be be decided by the Skittles in our lightsabers. (laughs) Maybe it's another girl, right? Riley Blanton, where you at? I had to break it to him that Count Dooku actually said to Yoda was, it's obvious this contest cannot be decided by our knowledge of the Force, but by our skills with a lightsaber. So fast forward to the 4th of July weekend, 2015. 
Grant and I had not watched Attack of Clones together in at least a year, so we sat and enjoyed it. By the way, it's such a good movie. I think it's underrated and completely overlooked by so many of us fans in the Star Wars community. When it got to the Yoda-Dooku fight, Grant looked at me and smiled and asked if I remembered the Skittle story. Oh, man, that warms my heart, Phil. That is a great, great story. Um, and and thank you so much for sharing that. You and you and Grant, I hope that you guys have many more lightsaber battles. And Skittles with them. Taste the rainbow. Taste the rainbow with... Uh, With your lightsaber battles. That's what I say. Is this the real life? Is this just fantasy? Caught in a landslide. No escape from reality. We're going to take a quick break with Rock Sugar. Let you know about a couple of podcasts you should be listening to potentially. When we come back, we've got a few snippets to cover. Spider-Man, Han Solo, Darth Vader, a little bit more when we come back on Geek Out Loud. you to check out flash tv talk flash tv talk is your source for news reviews and spoilers for the upcoming cw show the flash but wait there's more every week we get hyped with discussion and commentary on the flash and his previous tv incarnations including smallville justice Justice league unlimited flashpoint paradox young Young Justice, justice and more accelerate your fandom with us on flash tv talk Search for us on iTunes or find us online at flashtvtalk.podastery.com. That's P-O-D-A-S-T-E-R-Y dot com. Hey folks, I'm Jason. And I'm Dan. And we're here to tell you about our podcast, Flicks. Flicks is a podcast that reviews the biggest movies hitting the theaters, such as Captain America, Winter Soldier, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, The Amazing Spider-Man, Godzilla, Dolphin Tale 2. What? No, why would we review Dolphin Tale 2? The first one had Morgan Freeman in it. Morgan Freeman works with Batman. Anyway, we don't only cover the latest, we also cover the greatest. When there isn't a blockbuster hitting the local theater, we're talking about some of our favorites from the past. Movies like The Goonies. Star Wars. Featuring Steve Lawson. Gremlins. Terminator. National Lampoon's Vacation. The Last Airbender. Dude, no one liked The Last Airbender. You did. Stop derailing the promo. (sighs) Now, why should you listen to our show 
out of all the other movie review podcasts out there because we really do love the movies we talk about. And because every couple of years, Steve Glosson comes on and talks Star Wars. Seriously, dude. Hey, know your audience. Fair enough. Listen to Flick's podcast because we know Steve. Generation Star Wars is speaking up and sharing its story. I'm Andrew Leyland. I'm David Michelinie. I'm Tom Panneries. I'm Steve Glosson. I'm Matt Hunsworth. I'm Scott Gardner. I'm Ryan Shaw. I'm Paul Herman. I'm Jimmy Mack. I'm Ryder Waldron. I'm Justin Bulger. I'm Joseph Tavano. I'm John Jackson Miller. I'm Concetta Parker. I'm Steve Sansweet. And this. And this. And this. Is my Star Wars story. Is my Star Wars story. My Star Wars story. My Star Wars story. My Star Wars story. My Star Wars Star Wars story. My Star Wars story. My Star Wars story. My Star Wars story monthly at mystarwarsstory.com and available in the iTunes store. We're back on Geek Out Loud. I want to remind you, you can uh, help out the show by going to audible.com slash geekout, audibletrial.com slash geekout. With over 150,000 titles to choose from across all genres, man, that is your place to go. And uh, if you want some good books, number one, I would recommend using your free credit on Ready Player One. If you haven't uh, read that yet, it's a great, great book full of chock full of good 80s references and um, you can use your free credit on that or you can wait until next Tuesday when the author of Ready Player One uh, his next book will be released it's called Armada sounds very much like a Last Starfighter kind of thing so I'm going to pick it up I'm looking forward to it it's going to be great but our forthcoming Goldiverse Reads episode is going to be taking place and we're going to be discussing Ready Player One that's going to be coming up in a couple of weeks so Get caught up with us. It's going to be a good time. AudibleTrial.com slash geekout. AudibleTrial.com slash geekout for your free 30-day trial and your free audiobook that's yours to keep no matter what you do with your subscription to Audible and help out the show while you're at it. back here and uh doing our thing man now the other day my good friend Teresa delgado from disney vault talk co-host of disney vault talk the the heart and soul of disney vault talk if you will in the words of the late great dusty Rhodes, put up a poll on the geek out loud facebook at facebook.com slash geek out loud she was just asking 
a simple question. She said, Jurassic Park or Jaws? Because she watched Jaws for the first time and didn't understand the hype. Because, bless her heart, she's just a child. <laughs> so, you know, poor young Teresa. So, she put this post up and she said, time for a poll, Jurassic Park or Jaws, why? And uh, right off the bat, Brian chimed in, said, Jaws, we got... Um, Michael Smith said, I would like a review of Jaws. Haven't seen that one in a long time. Saw it in the theater when I was a kid, but it never made me afraid of the water, so he didn't really give an answer. So we got one Jaws, one no comment. Um, Anthony Pereira says, I have to side with Jaws. Uh, Mark Boder says, Jaws. Bo Cadell finally chimes in and says, Jurassic Park. Jaws is good, but it came out before I was born. Uh, Samuel Moon says, this is like asking a parent to choose between their favorite child. Uh, but I have to go with Jurassic Park because I saw it in theaters when I was eight and fell in love with it. Plus, dinosaurs. So we're, we're at a dead heat here. Christopher says Jaws. Nick Nugent says Jurassic Park. Jesse Colbert says yes. <laughs> uh, Chris Lombard says Jaws, better acting, better story. It defined the term blockbuster. C.J. Glickman, Jaws. Luke Hedstrom says Jurassic Park because dinosaurs. Wu S. Kim says Jurassic Park. Just rewatched it. It still holds up. Jurassic Park, says Ted Adam Green, because dinosaurs. Doc Zinn says, gotta go Jaws. Love Jurassic Park, but the, but the suspense behind Jaws and the storyline with the dad trying to not only protect his family, but the beach. And come on, we're gonna need a bigger boat? Classic. Uh, David Manderville, while I love Jurassic Park, I would choose Jaws. Uh, my, Mitchell Huff says, as a bio-nerd, Jurassic Park, the scene with the Brachiosaur had and has the same effect as a blockade runner flyover. God creates dinosaurs. God destroys dinosaurs. God creates man. Man creates podcasts. Podcast destroys boredom. Uh, Bo York says Jurassic Park. Chad Reed says Jaws changed the game. Mike McDonald says Jurassic, as fun as a roller coaster. Rusty Allison says Jurassic Park. Jason Hackett, Jurassic Park. Ella Edgar discerned Jurassic Park. Dinosaurs greater than sharks. Mm. A zombie farmer says Jurassic Park. Jeff Brown, Jurassic Park. Nick Mertz says Jurassic Park. Rodney Johnson says Jurassic, or I'm so sorry, says Jaws. Sharks are ill. Sharks are real, and they kill people. Coach Klein, uh, uh, Teresa chimed in and said Jurassic Park. Said she likes Jaws, but her fascination with sharks made it hard for her to be scared. I was just like, come on, Jaws, eat them all. Um, that's terrible. Uh, Ron Bordner says Jaws. Matthew Marks says Jurassic Park because dinosaurs. Jurassic Park because Samuel L. Jackson says J.C. Cox. Carissa says Jurassic Park. Anthony Rotella, Jurassic Park. Jeff McCann, Jaws. The shark attacks in South Carolina, and I'm going there to Hilton Head on the 17th. Uh, Travis Fishburne put up a shirtless picture of, uh, or kind of a shirtless picture of Jeff Goldblum. Says, enough said. Um, and uh, Jeff Serling says, Jaws. Christopher Chisnell says, Jaws. Brian Kerr, Jaws. Lime Allen, Jaws. Garvin Orton, Jurassic Park, Ken Rose, Jurassic Park, Jared Duhon, Jurassic Park, Matthew Rushing, I really like Jaws, but it's Jurassic Park for me. Chris Hensley, Jaws, more teeth. And Stuart Tullis says Jaws. I think, just by counting in my head here, Jaws edged out Jurassic Park because all of us old fuddy-duddies really dug Jaws more than Jurassic Park in a way. Now listen, that's not pooping on one to lift up the other. We all love Jurassic Park. Jurassic Park was a game changer in the world of filmmaking. Uh, it did something we'd never seen before. Fully realized digital, um, uh, not characters, but those dinosaurs that were fully digital were just amazing to look at. And of course, the melding of the 
the practical effects with the CGI was fantastic. But there is something about Jaws, and I think it comes down to the acting. When you get on the Orca, and when they're out there actually after Jaws, I mean, that whole third act there, there's just something going on. The story, when they're sitting there, and, and, and Quinn starts to tell them about being on the USS Indianapolis, and and everything that happened there, it's just, it is an amazing story, and it's an amazing adventure, and it's so much fun. And even the stuff leading up, the character stuff, this small little island that, you know, d- depends on tourism for everything that they do, it's what it's all about, man. It, it It's like, it, it's so, in some ways, so realistic because of what, uh, what the town, how the town reacts and how the mayor reacts and everything to what's going on in that movie, so... I side with Jaws. I side with the people in Jaws on that. Uh, but man, good stuff. Good stuff. And, and and again, it's not a it's not a fight. It's not a. I don't know why Teresa came in wanting to start a fight. I'm gonna have to get onto her for that. I don't know why she's all wanting to start a fight and everything, but she did. And it got everyone. It put it put people on. It it, it caused battle lines to be drawn. But I tell you, I like them both. And. We've talked, Arish and I talked a little bit about Jurassic World in the last episode of Geek Out Loud, and I don't want to rehash everything we said, but I will tell you this. I think the big weakness of Jurassic World was the same weaknesses we saw with, uh, well, not the same weaknesses. <laughs> Listen, the subsequent Jaws films had a lot of weaknesses. Jaws 2, I say, holds up. Holds up tremendously, and it, and it creeps me out every time. Um, <clears throat> Jaws 3, not so much. And Jaws the Revenge, I gotta be honest, I've not watched, I've never watched it all the way through. Um, it is, uh, it, it, it's just not, I haven't watched it all the way through. Um, so here we go, getting into some other, I'm sorry, you know what I didn't do? That's our poll. We should have a poll, we should start doing polls on a regular basis and have a poll theme. But now, uh, we got, we got a few snippets to discuss. Our first snippet is, uh, since last we talked, Marvel has cast uh, its Spider-Man. The Marvel Cinematic Universe has a Spider-Man. young man named Tom Holland. I'm not familiar with anything this kid has done. I'm not going to prejudge or whatever. He is young. We know he's going to play a teenage Peter Parker Spider-Man, and they're going to leave Peter in high school for for the time being, that this is going to be a kid. We're going to get early... Stan Lee-ish type Spider-Man stories with this kid. A lot of people have reacted with no reaction whatsoever on the internet. It's not getting people jazzed up. I think that there is a lack of excitement for several reasons. I think that part of it is what I am dubbing, ladies and gentlemen, I've not heard this anywhere else, so I'm going to, as just like the term epiversary, I'm going to now dub a new term, reboot fatigue. I think people are just tired of, tired? Tired. I think they're weary, um, and I think they're worn out with reboots. Uh, Everything coming out of Hollywood, even if it's a 30-year-old franchise, it's just like, oh, great, another reboot. There's nothing fresh. It doesn't seem anything new. I'm excited about the prospect of Spider-Man in the Marvel Cinematic Universe because... I trust what Marvel Studios will do with this character. Of course, they're going to be teaming with Sony. 
of course Sony's going to have probably notes and stuff their studio wants to see but the giving the giving the creative people and 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 for lack of a better term the story group at Marvel Studios the control and and the opportunity to play with Spider-Man is only going to be a good thing the fact that he's showing up in Civil War is a little bit wearisome to me I'm can we just stop calling it Captain America Civil War and just start calling it Avengers 3 you know everyone's going to be in this thing um but he's that's where we're going to see him first and then he'll get his own movie and and because we'll see him in Civil War, I, I doubt we'll get a full-on origin story with Spider-Man in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I think they're... This is the thing. Everyone's like, oh my gosh, we gotta hear that story again. We gotta sit through again. I don't think we do. I think it's gonna be done in the credits, opening credits, and then we'll roll on into a story of Spider-Man, a new Spider-Man story. And, you know, let's be honest, Marvel has done a great job of taking some risk that don't seem like they should pay off. Rocket Raccoon and Groot, anybody? I mean, that that is... All you have to do is look at how good the Guardians of the Galaxy was as a movie and how much fun it was and, and who people's favorite characters were when they came away. Chris Pratt was outstanding. Uh, but everyone comes away not saying, I love Drax, not saying, I love Gamora. They come away saying, I love Rocket and Groot. Those are the two that people love. What a weird thing. Whoever thought that Rocket Raccoon would be a household name? But it is now for a lot of kids. You know, Rocket and Groot are big deals. And Groot was this weird tree thing. in the He was exactly what you saw on screen in the comics. And, the, and they just brought him to life in this amazing way. So I think we can trust the Marvel Cinematic Universe with the character of Spider-Man and with whatever adventures he gets set off upon as a teenager in high school. Um... I, and I also think that because they're starting with him young and they're having this, this young kid be this person, I don't think they'll rush the, the villains the way that previous franchises kind of did. The Norman Osborn situation and the Harry Osborn situation in the Amazing Spider-Man franchise, those, those two movies, I don't think was handled very well. I don't think it was handled very satisfactorily to to me or to other fans of the Spider-Man um, comics or anything. And in those first three movies, I think Dr. Octopus was great, and I think that Spider-Man 2 is the pinnacle of success of the of the Sam Raimi trilogy. I think in Spider-Man 3, we saw that tendency to rush villains to the screen just to have them on screen. So Venom was not executed very well. Sandman was executed to perfection in that movie. In fact, Sandman is about the only thing that works well in that movie, other than some of the physical aspects of of what he does, you know, as far as just like absorbing sand to himself and being this big, huge thing. I don't know. I don't know if that's really how his powers work. I don't know. And I don't like the end of that. I don't like that Peter Parker gets to forgive Sandman so he gets away with all of his crime. He just gets to float away on the wind. And I'm like, that's you don't that's not your authority to do. You don't have the authority to be able to do this thing. Um, and, you know, Harry, the Harry Osborn storyline was one that ran pretty well through those three movies, but I feel like it got very mishandled there in the third. The Mary Jane Peter aspect, you know, the, these are two people that in the comics, for years and years and years after the death of Gwen Stacy, 
you know, they, it was a little while, will they, won't they? But once they did, man, it, they were a match literally made in heaven. She was the brightest spot in his life, uh, along with, of course, Aunt May. But Mary Jane just brought something new to Peter Parker, and, and you never got that from those two in those three movies. Um, you wanted to see them get together. Kirsten Dunst is a great actress. Uh, Tobey Maguire is a good actor. It, it just kind of fell apart in that third movie for me and for a lot of people. Um, and so it's going to be good to see Marvel Studios get their hands on this character, you know, bring him back home, bring him in-house, and do some fun things with him. Now, there is a little bit of controversy over what's going on because of documents that were leaked and because there were a lot of people who were hoping that there'd be a person of color under the mask and that sort of thing. Look, I'm, I'm going to say this right out of the gate. I'm about to be very offensive, and I don't mean to be. Um... In fact, I'm going to tell you this. I'm not going to be offensive, but there may be some people who get offended because there are people who just like to live their life offended. The truth of the matter is, is regardless of the reality of if Peter Parker were to be an African-American on screen and, and how much more true to life that would be in modern day New York and that sort of thing, it doesn't matter because for over 50 years... For over 50 years, this character has been marketed in the comic book industry as a white dude from Queens. Um, and and that's just the truth of it. And so if it's not racism and it's not having a problem with diversity, it's making sure it's, it's, a, it's the studio not trusting general audiences. And that may be your problem, but it's the studio not trusting general audiences to know what's being given to them. That the studio looks and says, "Well, for fifty years, Peter Parker has been this white, you know, this white kid uh, from Queens who is Peter Parker, and that's what we need to give to general audiences in the movie theater, so that they're more welcoming and more accepting of this character. Not the super geeks, not the internet community, not because as loud as the internet community is, and as much as Twitter shows up on CNN and and, and MSNBC and Fox News and all this other stuff." The, the internet community is still a small part. The internet geek community is still a smaller part of the overall general audience thing than most people think. Guardians of the Galaxy was not successful because all the geeks rallied behind it. That was a part of it, but it was successful because it was a good movie and it got a lot of good buzz. And Marvel has credit behind their name, so you slap that Marvel logo on something and people are going to go see it. I hang out with a bunch of the people who are the general audience. and And so they're looking at something like Ant-Man that's coming out in a couple of weeks. And they look and say to me, well, that sounds stupid. Why? Were, what is an Ant-Man? That's dumb. And I have to reassure them, well, there's a Spider-Man, and your kids are all dressed up as Spider-Man, and they love Spider-Man. Ant-Man's just another arm of that kind of mentality and that kind of thought process. And so, and what I've sold some of my friends on is, is this is Phoebe's husband playing this, Paul Rudd. They don't know Anchorman. They don't know the other works of Paul Rudd. And so it's just like... I think it'll be a pretty good thing, and it's got good early buzz. But understand something. It's not racism. It's not about, hey, we don't like black people. We don't like this. We don't like that. It's, it's this is how this character's been marketed for, for over 50 years. It may seem like a flimsy excuse, but it's not an invalid reason. It's not an invalid reasoning for casting this thing. Um, Miles Morales is a great character in the pages of the Ultimate Spider-Man, and now he is taking up the mantle as Marvel's only Spider-Man in the comic books. But Miles Morales, quite frankly, does not work as Spider-Man unless he has a Peter Parker that dies and whose memory he wants to honor. 
And that's just the truth of it. His origin story is tied in with Peter Parker, and you can't get away from that. And and so if all of a sudden everyone, the general, and Peter Parker is a household name, Spider-Man, a household name. He is Marvel's flagship character. And for them to bring him in, they've got to do it right so that general audiences know. I'm not saying it's not a flimsy excuse, but I am saying it's not invalid. And so what I want everyone to do is join me in calming the freak down. <laughs> it's not a big deal. And it's going to be good. I, I just have... All, listen, my big fear was this Ant-Man thing. I was really, really concerned about this Ant-Man thing and, and all the stuff that went on. But all of the buzz that's coming out, James Gunn has said, you know, he's one that that is that has spoken up. James Gunn <clears throat> has has spoken and said, this is great. This is this is this is a great movie, and and I'm like, okay, well, I, I'm going to set my fears at ease. All the early buzz coming out is this has so much heart, it has so much fun, and it is so good that it'll surprise you. So I'm now like, okay, I feel better about Ant Man. I'm not like, oh my gosh, I can't wait to go see Ant Man, but I am like, okay, I'll check it out. This will be a good time. I'll have some fun times. <clears throat> so, um. It's it's cool with me. I'm cool with that. I'm down with it. You know, I'm I'm down with what they're doing. I'll tell you this. I wasn't looking forward to the Black Panther movie because I've never been a real big fan of the Black Panther. But uh, I recently saw the guy who's going to be playing the Black Panther. Let me really quickly find his name. Chadwick Boseman. Um, Chadwick Boseman plays James Brown in a biopic or biopic called Get On Up, the James Brown story. And this is the first thing I'd ever seen this guy into my knowledge. And he does James Brown at all, James Brown, James Brown at all these different points in his career from early right on to tracksuit wearing James Brown of the late eighties who gets in a police chase with, you know, uh, in Augusta, Georgia and he's so good as James Brown. But then I'm turning around the other day and I happen to watch Draft Day. Now, I'm not particularly uh I'm not particularly a huge fan of of uh you know Kevin Costner or whatever, but I I'd heard some decent things about Draft Day, so I'm watching it. And in Draft Day he played a football player and he was just on screen for a little bit, but I recognized him immediately. His acting was fantastic. He lit up the screen every time he was on this thing. I now want to see him play. I've got to watch 42. I never watched 42. He plays Jackie Robinson in that. And I want to see him now in that. I want to see this guy in whatever he's been in because he really lit up the screen. He's got charisma. He's got a presence. And I think he's going to be great as T'Challa the Black Panther. And again, it's another one of those things where I looked at... Where I, where I looked at what Marvel was doing, and I'm thinking, really? The Black Panther? Come on. And Chadwick Boseman, who's that? And then I watch him in something without even realizing it's him. Like, I wasn't seeking out something to say, I wonder what this Black kid, Black Panther kid's playing. Um, I just happened to stumble upon this stuff and just found myself like, this is good stuff. This kid, this guy is a great actor. And it's going to be... I, I I think he's going to pull off a great great T'Challa and 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 
And so it makes me more look forward to the stuff that I've been kind of cool on when it comes to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I'm really kind of cool on some of the Phase 3 stuff. I'm not super stoked about Civil War, but as I've talked about. I'm really looking forward to Ragnarok, really looking forward to Guardians 2, and um, I'm looking forward, I guess, to the final Avengers, the two final Avengers movies, Infinity War Part 1 and 2, but everything else in there. I mean, I, the Spider-Man thing, I guess I'm looking forward to. That's still so far out to me, I'll have to look. I'm not really stoked about the Inhumans thing. I'm not really stoked about Captain Marvel. Uh, Doctor Strange, I have a, you know, it's really piqued my interest. Um, it's one that I'm definitely going to go see just because it's it's one of the more intriguing ones to me. It's got the most, you know, it, it's a different Marvel story again, you know. And so I'm looking forward to all of it. But there's some things I'm just a little cooler on than others. And he's caused me to be a lot more interested in a Black Panther movie and in Civil War, you know, seeing him show up in Civil War. So um, I say all that to say, you know, I, I understand these documents that were put out by uh, Sony to Marvel that he has to legally be these things. He can only be white. He can only be straight. And that's because of the characters. That's because of how this guy's been marketed for so, so, so long. And, 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 and it's not an invalid reason. It's not an invalid reason at all. And it's not racist. And I think we've got to get out of this mentality of, you know, this mentality of just because there's not the diversity we want to see suddenly makes people bigoted, racist, or sexist. It just means that this is people just writing what they know, you know. And I'm a big proponent of create something good, create something that you like, create what, if you're a creator, go create and create to your heart's content. Be as diverse as you want to be, but make sure you're intriguing. It comes down to storytelling for me. It comes down to what are you doing to really, um, really add to, add to what we're getting without without the tropes of griping and complaining. That's what this show's all about. It's about not griping, not complaining about all the things that we like to gripe and complain about. It this show is all about let's stop. Let's 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 look at this with some sense to it and and not be offended by every little thing. So um so Spider-Man that and that's just and I haven't really talked about it, so I wanted to definitely mention it while I had a chance. Again, it's not something I'm passionate about. I love Spider-Man. But he was never my favorite Marvel character. I love him, you know, but he was never someone I'm like, oh my gosh, they've got to get Spider-Man just right. Snippet! Uh, the Fantastic Four uh, movie that is coming in August, there was a new trailer, a new TV spot put out, and one of the headlines I saw about this particular thing was that they're bringing levity to they're showing the levity of the movie with this new trailer let's give it a listen you guys ready to have your minds blown i thought there were four of you oh there are are going to change the world. That's what I'm talking about. Fantastic Four, August 7th. I guess they're saying there's levity in it because of the music behind it um, and because of the... Uh, I, 
because of the, um, you know, because of, I thought there were four of you. Oh, there are, you know, and, and getting to see Michael B. Jordan kind of do his thing, um, you know, and be a little bit, I don't know, a little bit funny, a little bit snarky, whatever the case may be. And he gives a woo kind of situation. So I don't, you know, look, I don't know that that's levity. I, I'm still not really excited. And I'll tell you this, levity's not the answer to a good superhero movie. Levity, I think, needs to be there, but it's got to be natural. It can't be forced in. I think, you know, one of the things that I think they got really right in Amazing Spider-Man with Andrew Garfield was his personality when he put on that mask, that he was wisecracking. He was making some funny jokes. You know, there's the moment where he's waiting, where he's strung up his webs to try to figure out, you know, to kind of set a trap for the lizard, and he's just sitting there waiting, and he's playing a little game on his phone and that sort of thing. Um, those things work in in a movie like that, and they work in superhero movies because, it, you know, levity brings it to the level of fun and not the level of, oh, what if this were real? This is amazing. How would people really react? Uh, it, levity, even even uh, Nolan's Batman trilogy had a lot of levity in it. Good little one-liners and quips that were genuinely funny, and um, and so, but levity is not the answer. What's the answer? Staying true to characters that have been around for over fifty years. Youth is not an issue here. Let these characters be young. That's fine. Start them out young so so that maybe you have them for four or five movies. However, whatever you want to get them contractually obligated to, that's great. Let them be around. In this particular version, you know, Sue, Sue Storm has been adopted by Johnny's family. And, you know, and, and Johnny is an African-American. Michael B. Jordan is an incredible actor, and I think he's going to do a great job as a human torch. I think that, you know, that, that it's not about... Here, it's not about the look of these characters. Um, But I think the issue that I've seen from the different things, and again, I'm not going to prejudge this movie, but the things that have me concerned are the treatment of a Doctor Doom. Again, this is a character that's been around for over 50 years, and it's a character that's worked as a monarch of a fictional country for over 50 years. It's worked, you know? And the reason it's worked is because... He's someone that is basically untouchable. Diplomatic immunity he has when he steps onto American soil. I love that Stan Lee said there's no law against taking over the world, and that's what he wants to do. And the Fantastic Four have to stop him. And then he, you know, then the the, the it becomes personal with him and Reed Richards, you know, and he's he, he's amazing because he 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 melds science and uh, you know technology and mysticism, and it's this, and it's just a a, a crazy. It's a crazy concept for a bad guy, and it's worked for over 50 years. And I think the idea is that what they're trying to do in some ways, they're, they're obviously using the Ultimate Fantastic Four story, origin, and everything for this, and that's fu- again, that's fun. But it, it seems like too many times they, if they're trying to be, again, smarter than the source material. Um, Scott Rifen said, and I and we had a talk because we're both big fans of John Burns run on the Fantastic Four. What was missing from those other two movies? And I think it was the fantastic aspect of it. And and a lot of people complained about the look of Galactus being a big cloud, even though I feel like there was the the room to say that Galactus was actually in that cloud. The you know the Galactus that we know, the purple suit wearing big hat guy. And I think that comes down to not trusting what was on the page to translate 
to what is on the screen. In Marvel Cinematic Universe, uh, you know, Marvel Studios, they've stopped doing that. They've stopped not trusting what was on the page to translate to the screen. Um, they're only bound by their own personal limitations of what they're able to do with costumes and, and getting people in and out of them and that sort of thing. And so um, here, again, I think that we're doing a science fiction story. Uh, there's nothing that's really intrigued me about what they're, you know, it's interdimensional travel, but what dimension are they going to? Everything you see looks just kind of like it's just some barren planet kind of situation. And I don't know. I, I'm just like, give me something and put some pants on the thing for crying out loud. It doesn't make sense for him to have pants. I know because he's a big rock monster, but it's also not as weird with him having pants on as it is seeing him walk around pantsless. He looks less like the thing in this thing and more like the rock monster from the never ending story. He doesn't look like the thing. Why? You know, you can, again, Michael Chiklis as the thing yeah, you know, there was some problems with that look and costume. By the second movie, I think they got a little bit more figured out. You know, you it's it's just... He, he looks weird, guys. He doesn't look good. He doesn't look like the thing. Um, I hope I'm dead wrong about this movie. I hope I'm dead wrong about this movie. But the thing is with the Fantastic Four is I have loved these characters and I've loved this this book for so long it was a staple of my comic collecting from the time that i first got into comics the first comic i bought at a comic book shop was fantastic four number 296 the marvel 25th anniversary edition it had the thing on the cover in his uh in his in his trench coat and glasses and and fedora and the the whole story centered around him leaving having left the the team and them going after him, them going to find him, and 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 that and this is one standalone story. As a new comic book reader who who had read some little books that had like the origin of the Fantastic Four and a, and a couple of extra stories, I got everything I needed to know from that one story about this family, about what was important to them, about what 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 they were all about, and I, I never looked back from there, and I and I started to collect the old John Byrne stuff, and started to really just delve into this, the mythology of the Fantastic Four, and love them. I love everything about this team, and so I'm a little more married to it. So I can't sit and enjoy it like I did the Wolverine movies. See, I was okay with the Wolverine X Men Origins, whatever how how, how X Men Origins Wolverine. A lot of people hated it. I was okay with it. I saw the weaknesses in the special effects and everything, but I was okay with it because I'm not so married to that character. I'm not so passionate about the character of Wolverine that if they don't get the origin just right, if they don't do this just right or that just right, I'm not going to flip out. And a lot of people are flipping out because they love Wolverine so much. And I get that. I get that when we get angry, it's not from a place of just wanting to complain and gripe. It literally comes from a place of, I've loved this franchise or I've loved these characters for so long. And that's okay. But, you know, at the end of the day, I really hope I'm dead wrong about this. I hope that that Fox and company prove me wrong and put on something on the screen that I have to come back to you guys in August and say, well, this was one of the greatest things I've ever seen in my life. Based on everything I've seen in trailers and all, I don't know. I don't know that that's going to happen, unfortunately. Uh, snippet! Whoopa! Um... <clears throat> Uh, we know the anthology films, the Star Wars anthology films, uh, are starting to shape up what they're going to look like. 
Uh, Rogue One will be the first one, and, and the story of Rogue One is is the the rebel the band of rebel spies uh, striking from a hidden base have won their first victory, and they stole the plans. It's the opening scroll of A New Hope. Um, birthmoviesdeath.com, a website I've never heard of. Birthmoviesdeath.com. Uh, Devin Farasi writes and, and reported just today, in fact, that uh, he has a source um, that says Darth Vader will be in this. He says, literally, I'm told he'll be showing up via view screen or hollow projection or something. Will our heroes run into the Dark Lord of the Sith in person? My source wouldn't say. My source was mum about Grand Moff Tarkin, who was, of course, the commander of the fully operational Death Star. Uh, so there you go. I, Devin, I, I have no, he's the editor in chief of Birth Movies Death. I have no reason to doubt him, but I also have no reason to believe him. And I've not heard anything to confirm or deny this rumor yet. Darth, I, it wouldn't surprise me that Darth Vader shows up in some form or another. Uh, I wouldn't expect him to actually show up physically because as we've seen in Rebels, if Darth Vader shows up physically, your butt is grass. That's all there is to it. Your butt is grass. Um, so, I just throw that out there. I throw that out there as rumor because I, you know, like I say, I can't confirm or deny the truth of that statement. So... Uh, but here is something that is for sure, that is definitive, that is definite. Um, snippet. Um, <clears throat> Han Solo is the focus of the second Star Wars anthology film. Um, I feel like I've been kind of negative or really overly serious. Is this news at this point? You know, I mean, this has been the big rumor for the long time. I think the bigger news is the directing team who's going to be taking on the Han Solo anthology film. Phil Lord and Chris Miller, they did uh, the Legos movie. Uh, they did Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs. They also directed 21 and 22 Jump Street. These are four movies who had no business being good. 21 Jump Street had no business having a sequel to itself. 22 Jump Street. And 21 Jump Street is vulgar it is not for children and it is hilarious as you know 22 jump street not quite as funny but still funny still good um the lego movie we all know well cloudy with a chance of meatballs i watched steve i listen that's a that movie had no no business being good and again spawning a sequel but it did the lego movie had no business being anything worth anything. When I heard they're making a Lego movie, I was in the camp of everyone who's saying, oh my gosh, have we fallen so far. When I saw the Lego movie, I ate every single word negative that I'd said because it is, it's it's one of the more genius things that's come out in the past few years. It is, it is fantastic. Um, these guys directed those movies, Phil Lord and Chris Miller. Um, and they say this. This is a quote from This is the first movie we've worked on that seems like a good idea to begin with. <laughs> from the outset, this seems like a good idea. 
Everything else we've worked on seemed like, yeah, I don't know if that's going to work, but this seems like a good idea. We promise to take risks, to give the audience a fresh experience, and we pledge ourselves to be faithful stewards of these characters who mean so much to us. This is a dream come true for us, and not the kind of dream where you're late for work and all your clothes are made of pudding, but the kind of dream where you get to make a film with some of the greatest characters ever made in a film franchise you've loved since before you can remember having dreams at all. What an incredible sentiment. Good, good, good words, Phil and Chris. The screenplay is actually written by Lawrence Kasdan and his son, John Kasdan. And it's apparently an origin story. focuses on young Han Solo becoming a smuggler, thief, and scoundrel. Um, so, yeah, Kasdan, of course, huge cred in the Star Wars world. Um, he has co-written screenplays, of course, for Empire and Jedi, and now The Force Awakens. Uh, his son, John... Uh, wrote and directed the first time, which premiered at Sundance Film Festival. Um, and he wrote uh, for the television series Freaks and Geeks and Dawson's Creek, two big fan favorites. Uh, the cast and say, We're so excited to be working with Chris and Phil, who will bring a fresh new dimension to the Star Wars universe. They're two of the smartest, funniest, and most original filmmakers around, and the ideal choice to tell the story of Han Solo, one of the coolest characters in the galaxy. Kathleen Kennedy, the producer, says she can't wait to discover what's in store. From these two extraordinary teams of directors and writers. It's not just any filmmaker who can tell the story of such a beloved icon like Han Solo. I'm excited to say we found the perfect team to handle the task. Larry and John know all there is to know about the character. And Chris and Phil will bring their wit, style, and energy and heart to tell Han's story. It's slated for a May 25th, 2018 release. It's going to be executive produced by Lawrence Kasdan as well. Jason McGatlin and co-produced by Will Allegra. So, and this is directly from StarWars.com. This isn't rumor. This isn't uh, this isn't speculation. This is truth. Uh, in 2018, we'll be getting an anthology film featuring Han Solo. So, a lot of people are, you know, uh, speculating who it may be. Um, I, I don't care at this point. I'll be honest with you. Not please don't be Chris Pratt or Benedict Cumberbatch. <laughs> Listen, Chris Pratt has proven himself to be a great actor. I want to see Chris Pratt do things that Chris Pratt doesn't have to step into someone else's shoes to do. Uh, I really think unknown is the way to go for a lot of these these big names. If they're doing a new Indiana Jones, if they're doing well, you know they're doing Han Solo. I think it needs to be unknown. Uh, and and I you know look, they know better than we do. They'll see the stuff, and and they're not out to make a bad movie. Of course, they're out to make a good movie. And here's the thing. I'll be there for it. And I want to go back to uh, an emailer earlier who was talking about all the stuff that Marvel's done to put out Star Wars um, movies and or Star Wars comics and everything and, and how much there is. Um, I, I am excited uh, for this. I'll be there. My butt will be in the seat for this and for uh, Rogue One. But i got to be honest with you. I'm more excited for the enumerated films. Uh, that continue the story. I, I don't need the filler. I, I'm kind of at a place in my fandom where I just, you know, just keep the big story rolling. You know, the Empire versus the Rebels, the Jedi, the right, you know, the rise and fall of the Jedi, the return of the Jedi, the you know, the Force Awakening, and what that means not only for our legacy characters but for these new characters that hopefully will will meet and fall in love with. You know, I, I, that's kind of what. I really want to see um, see go on with that. 
so I, I think that, um, you know, I, I, look, Han Solo is going to, Star Wars is going to put butts in seats. Han Solo is going to make fans happy, but you're also, man, you're treading a dangerous line because you've got a lot of fans of the old Han Solo stories that, uh, by, um, uh, what was her name? Crispin? Is that right? Someone, someone help me out in the chat really quickly. Wasn't it AC Crispin? Um, <clears throat> that, uh, that wrote the, the Han Solo trilogy back in the day. Thank you, Dylan Crispin. And I think that, you know, look, hey, uh, there's a lot of people who are big fans of those books, and and rightfully so. It's a great story. My friend Jesse loves those books, and rightfully so. Great story. But at the end of the day, you know, those people are going to have problems with whatever's put forth here. Um, there are going to be people who don't like whoever they cast to play Han Solo. It's it is, This is, as much as this seems like a good idea, these guys' backs are against the wall. So more power to them. I'm rooting for them. I want everything that has the name Star Wars on it to be the best thing ever. That's what I want. I love Star Wars. I love the franchise. I'm I'm excited about The Force Awakens. I'm looking forward to episodes eight and nine coming down the pipe. I'm really looking forward to uh, you know more Rebels on TV. I'm I love Star Wars and I'm looking forward to it. And we live in a magical magical time. But then I look around the Star Wars room and whence I sit, and I see these old vintage Kenner toys and I see these old vintage Kenner ships and figures and I. And I just think back to a time when we didn't know. You know, I, I look back at a time pre-internet and pre-prequel and, and pre-special edition. And, and I love the prequels and I love the special editions. But there's something, there was something magical for so long about being a Star Wars fan. And I'm not trying to be the geek snob. I'm just saying there was something magical about it. And, and I never felt fleeced by George Lucas. I never felt like that he was just doing money grabs, you know, when, when things would be released. I always felt like, you know, they're very careful with each subsequent DVD release. Once the, they, once the movies were on DVD and they started coming out with each subsequent release, you got different special features that they didn't just repackage and put out the same old thing. They, with the Blu-rays, you know, you didn't just get the same old stuff. And um, even with the digital releases, they put a little bit of new content in there and gave you some legacy content from those old special uh, features of the DVDs and everything. But now, you know, we're just in a time when, and look, it's great that Star Wars is a brand that continues to to make money, that kids continue to get into, but I tell you what, man, it was just a magical time. And so maybe there's a part of the old curmudgeon that just is missing that. And as I see that we're going to get a Han Solo origin story, it's like the only origin of Han Solo I need, honestly, is Han Solo, Captain Millennium Falcon. Chewie here tells me you're looking for passage to the Alderaan system. Yes, indeed, if it's a fast ship. A fast ship? You've never heard of the Millennium Falcon? No, should I have? It's a ship that made the Kessel run in less than 12 parsecs. She's fast enough for you, old man. What's the cargo? That's the only Han Solo origin I need, you know? Um, so, uh, again, not complaining, not griping. Just kind of when I saw the news and I saw people start to talk about it, I'm tired of the internet blowing up over every little piece of news. I really am. Everything's not a big deal, guys. And uh, this is a big deal to me. This is special to me. But, but um, 
you know, but immediately everyone's trying to see who can make the best joke, who can make the best, you know, stuff. And uh, <clears throat> it was, uh, you know, whatever the case may be. I, I, that, that comes across really negative. And as I was sitting there doing that dialogue in my head, I'm like, should have done a bad impersonations theater of the cantina scene with Han Solo meeting Ben Kenobi and Luke Skywalker and company. Next time, ladies and gentlemen, next time, bad impersonations theater will indeed happen and it's going to be that scene and i'll have to figure out who's who and who's what there but <laughs> chewbacca will be bob dylan hey that's all he says hey it works it's, it's his chewbacca roars bob dylan hey chewie get back to the ship and get her ready hey because he just gives a little there so oh man uh did my mic just go out on me gee whiz hold on what has happened here Man, I think my mic just went out there for a second. I'm not sure. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. What matters is uh, we're here. And, man, we live in a... Look, I remember when I started this podcast, guys. I remember when I started this thing. When I started this podcast, you were lucky if, um, if, if, you know, anyone knew what you were talking about in your real life. And now we live in a world where all this stuff is just as commonplace as anything else. You know, we just, this is the, this is the world in which we live. And, uh, it's a, it's a great time to be a geek, man. It's a great time to be, um, to be into the comic books, to be into, the superheroes to be into the star wars to be into things like terminator still hadn't seen terminator genesis and i've heard good things about it i've heard good things about what they do and and how it goes i um i think that uh you know I, i'm looking forward to to seeing it i'm going to see it this week while I'm, while i'm on my staycation um so uh so yeah you know look I, I, the truth of the matter is i'm just I'm excited about what we're getting. I'm excited about how things are, you know, how things are shaping up for, for we, the geeks, because, you know, it's a, it's a period in time, which we rule the world and there's a good chance that someone will come along and ruin it all for us. So, but that does wrap us up, man, here on geek out loud. Thanks everyone for joining us live at mixer.com slash geek out loud or slash goloverse rather mixer.com slash goloverse. You can listen to all of our shows live there want to thank everyone who uses those Amazon links, man. Amazon uh, helps us out in a big, bad way when you use the links over at geekoutpodcast.com to do all of your Amazon shopping. It, uh, it helps us out. helps us pay the old bills. You can follow us on Twitter, at Geek Out Loud. We're at Goliverse. I'm at Steve Glosson. Don't forget our friend Eric Schernevis, at Darth underscore Duff. If you're out at San Diego Comic-Con... Make sure to head by the Del Rey booth and give them a pe- big pass the corn from me. Of course, the aforementioned Teresa Delgado is at Ice Cold Penguin. We're on Facebook, facebook.com slash geekoutloud. Like us, you never know if we might just randomly put a poll on there. And then, of course, the email is geekoutonline at gmail.com. Geekoutonline at gmail.com. Thanks to everyone who supports us directly through Patreon. Patreon.com slash geekoutloud. We've got uh, a few things happening uh, with the pods, the exclusive pods coming this month. 
So stand by looking for those because it's going to happen as we get into our Star Wars commentaries. Love you. Appreciate you so much. This has been episode 145 of Geek Out Loud, which you know what that means. It means that uh, we are getting into close to our big 150th anniversary. I'd like to do something special for it because I love anniversaries and I love special things. Of course, at the aforepromised the aforementioned uh, Bad Impersonation Theater will be coming out on um, on the old uh, next episode. So be looking forward to that. And uh, until then, I'm Steve Glosson. Appreciate you so much. Have a good one, everyone. We'll see you next time on Geek Out Loud. You bitch!